0: Good evening, church. Today's second reading is from Habakkuk chapter 3, and in the Pew Bibles, it's found on page 982. So Habakkuk chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. Lord, I have heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Temin, the Holy One from Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendour was like the sunrise, raised flash from his hand, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth, he looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, his ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? And you uncovered your bow and you called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by and the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you rode; you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land in wickedness, and you stripped from his head to toe. With his own spear you pierced his head, and when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, And the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in my God, my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength, and he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments.
1: Well, good evening. Uh, It's nice to see you here. If I don't know you, if I haven't met you, my name is Ollie. I'm one of the student ministers here. Um, We're going to be speaking from Habakkuk, third chapter, tonight. Uh, Can I encourage you to keep your Bible open? So we're not interested in what I've got to say, we're interested in what God's got to say. So can I encourage you to keep your Bible open as we work through? Uh, I'm going to thank God for the time and then we'll make a start. So let's pray. Mm -hmm. Dear Heavenly Father, We thank you for this time where we can come and hear your word. We ask that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit amongst us, that he'd be active and he'd be convicting and encouraging us from your word. And we ask that you help us to focus on this hot day. Uh, The temptation is to doze off in the heat. So we ask that you'd give us energy and you'd keep our minds sharp as we hear your word, as we listen to your word, and as we think about how we can apply your word. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to introduce you to someone. Uh, This here is my family's dog, Zap. Uh, So he's a seven-year-old pug and he absolutely loves food. So think about your favourite food, whatever it is that you kind of drool about and you just love and fantasise. However you feel about that food is how he feels about all food. So he just absolutely loves food and so i've used this uh, this love for food to teach him to do stuff i've taught him tricks and he does all these things like he comes and he does all these kind of funny things the, the best one of which is he can stand up on two legs and then jump which might not sound that impressive but when you look at him and you consider that he's basically a blob of fat with eyes. That's quite an impressive effort to lift that, propel that off the ground into the air. And so he does all of these things because he wants the food that he gets at the end of it. And so I used to um, use food to teach him to do tricks, but eventually I started getting sick of that. I'm like, this is a dog. I shouldn't have to, get to, have to give him food to make him do stuff. He should do it anyway. And so what I started doing was pretending I had food when I didn't. So I'd close my fist as if I had like food in there and I'd call Zap, what have I got? And he'd jump up from wherever he was, come sprinting towards me, knocking over chairs I'm bouncing off the wall and then sit at my feet, looking and waiting for me to give a command and then give him food. I'd then tell him to do something and he'd do it. And when he'd done it, I'd then open my hand and go, no, no food for you. And so, and the look of betrayal on his face was something to behold. But so, at first he'd do it because he thought I was going to keep giving him food, but eventually, do you know what happened? Yeah, he stopped listening to me. He wouldn't do what I told him to do anymore because he knew I wasn't going to give him food at the end. And so I eventually caved in and I give him food again now. But it got me thinking, what an amazing thing is trust. If you have someone's trust, you can get them to do all sorts of things. When he believed me, he'd jump and he'd stand on his two feet and do all sorts of things. But the moment he figured out I couldn't be trusted, he wouldn't listen to a word I I said. And so tonight we're going to be thinking about trust, but we're going to be thinking in particular about God and trust. Can we trust what God has to say? If we can't trust what God has to say, then we shouldn't do anything he says. We should ignore him. Even a dumb animal like my dog can figure out, don't listen to someone if you can't trust them. But if you can trust what God has to say, then that's amazing, it's good news. And so we're going to be thinking about that tonight. Can we trust God? As we do, we'll be working through the third chapter of Habakkuk. We've been introduced to Habakkuk over the last few weeks and things aren't going well for him, are they? He's in Jerusalem and there's wickedness all about. And so he calls out to God, God, do something. God says, don't worry, I've got it covered. I'm going to send the Babylonians, which that's not a good answer. The Babylonians are even more wicked than Jerusalem. So how can you judge Jerusalem's wickedness with the Babylonians who are even worse? The solution's worse than the problem. It's like if I got shot in the leg and I go to the doctor, as you do if you get shot in the leg. And the doctor says to me, don't worry, I've got it covered. I'm going to cut your leg off. So that's a solution, but it doesn't sound like a good solution, does it? The The solution's worse than the problem. And so Habakkuk's just feeling completely overwhelmed, completely worn down, beaten down, feeling helpless. And what does he do then? Does he curl up in a ball? Does he take his anger and sadness and frustration out on those around him? Well, no, what we see Habakkuk do is he reflects and he trusts. And so that's what we see in the layout of our passage today. We see in verses 3 to 15 that that Habakkuk reflects on God's past actions. And that's what we do, isn't it? When we want to figure out whether to trust someone or not, we think about their past actions. My dog, Zap, thinks about the past actions. Could I be trusted? Would I do what I said I'd do? And that's what Habakkuk does. He reflects on God's past actions and then he decides to trust God. So he reflects and he trusts. What particular event does he reflect on? Well, he reflects on the high point of Israelite history. He reflects on the Exodus. The Exodus was Israel's greatest moment, their crowning glory. It was the time when they were beaten down, squashed, stuck in slavery, beaten and oppressed, tra- treated as objects instead of people. And God came along and God saved them. And so this was their high point. This was the story they all thought about, they all reflected on. It was what they told to their kids at bedtime when they're going to sleep. It was what they told around the campfire. This was their highlight. It's a story about God coming and God conquering. And so now when Habakkuk is feeling as helpless and hopeless... As the Israelites were in the, in the Exodus, in the time of the Exodus. He reflects on their story and then he trusts God. And so it's a story about God coming. We see that in the third verse. Have a look at the third verse. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. So Taman just means Southland and Mount Paran was associated with Mount Sinai which was seen as God's home. So in other words, what it's saying is God came from his mountain home. He comes out to save his people. And as we continue, we see that it's not just God that came, it's King God that came. This is kingly language. So, God the King comes out to save his people. And so, what do we expect when we see a king, when a king or queen or royalty comes? We expect big things to happen, don't we? There's kind of amazing things going on, there's uh, servants kind of scurrying all over the place, there's security guards, there's a big deal happening. And so that's what we see in the verses as we continue. Have a look at the second half of the third verse and then verse four. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. So God's coming and it's a big deal. He's shining like the sun in the sky. His praise fills the earth. There's people calling out, praise to God, it fills the whole earth and his glory covers the whole sky, this is a big deal. It's a bit like when Queen Elizabeth came to Melbourne. I don't know if anyone went and visited her when she came a few, I think it was a few years ago, but whether you did or not, my dad did last time she was here. So a long time ago, when he was just young, he went out and visited her. Uh, He was living in Essendon at the time, so he went out and stood along the streets, the local streets in Essendon, and there were thousands and thousands of people all just lined up along the streets wanting to see the Queen. I've got some, um, some photos of it. So here's some photos of when the Queen came. You can see it's quite a big deal, isn't it? People are kind of waving their hats, people are saluting, there's cars, there's horses, there's all sorts of things. There's so many people gathered to see the Queen. This is a big deal. And that's what it's like when God comes. But even more if that's how much glory there is when the Queen comes to visit Melbourne Australia imagine the glory when the king of the world comes the pomp and ceremony would have been incredible and so that's what Habakkuk reflects on this amazing powerful glorious king who's coming to save his people and who usually comes with a king Well, they usually have attendants, don't they? People to go and do their bidding. But did you notice who God's attendants were in the passage? Have a look at verse 5. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. Who are God's attendants? They're plague and pestilence. Sickness. When When God the King comes... His attendants are mighty, powerful things. And we saw that in Exodus, didn't we? God commanding plagues and pestilence. Because what's Exodus known for? It's the 10 plagues, isn't it? When God sent 10 plagues onto the Egyptians as punishment for them keeping his people in slavery. We see that in Exodus 7 to 11. There's a plague of locusts where swarms of insects come down and eat everything in sight. There's the plague of hailstones where giant brick-sized hailstones fell from the sky and decimated the land. And then there's the plague of darkness. Now that might not sound that bad. You might think, oh, we get to just sleep in more. Hopefully God sends a plague of darkness on Australia. But instead, if you're an Egyptian who worships the sun, what worse plague could there be than your God the sun disappearing for days on end? It would have been a terrifying thing. God comes with mighty attendance. For God's people, this was, this was wonderful news. This is good news. Powerful God is coming to save us. And so that's why Habakkuk reflects on it. It's amazing good news. But if you're an Egyptian, imagine being an Egyptian when this powerful king comes to save his people who are not you. You. What a terrifying thing that would have been. And so that's what we see. We see the fear in verses 6 to 7. Have a look at 6 to 7. Even the mountains shake and crumble here, the hills collapse and the nations are terrified. Look at verses 6 to 7. He stood and shook the earth, He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age old hills collapsed, but He marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. See, everything and everyone shakes when God comes. Nothing can stand in his way. The people are terrified. Who can stand in the way of a God who sends plagues, who stops the sun in the sky, who at his very presence, the mountains shake and tremble? And we see this in Exodus, don't we? Exodus is a story filled with fear and trembling people who are scared the Egyptians are terrified Their king, the pharaoh is terrified the nations all about are scared they don't want to let the Israelites in everyone is scared of this God who comes everyone is scared except for the Israelites because they're the ones he's come to save and so that's why Habakkuk reflects on this when God came he came to save them this is good, good news for them But it doesn't just stop there, it gets even better because God didn't just come, God came and he conquered, he defeated the Egyptians. See, the Exodus is a story where God comes and defeats, conquers his enemies. And it starts with the other big part of Exodus because aside from the 10 plagues, what does our mind automatically think of when we think of the Exodus? We think of the crossing the sea, don't we? where God parts the waters so his people can walk in and escape. And that's where Habakkuk turns in his reflection now. Have a look at verses 8 to 9. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. See, it's in the form of questions, but we've got to remember this is poetry. Habakkuk isn't actually asking if God was angry with the sea, what he's instead doing is making a point that God did something amazing with the waters and the sea. And that amazing thing was parting it so that his people could escape, wasn't it? But He didn't just part the waters so his people could escape. He also used it to conquer the Egyptians. Because remember what happens as the Israelites flee through the dry land with big walls of water on either side, the Egyptian army follows them in. And then once the Israelites are at the other end, God brings the water back together and destroys the Egyptian army. It's an amazing story of conquest. God comes out to fight and that's why we've got the weapon language here that talks about horses and chariots and bows and arrows. God is getting ready to fight. And what an amazing victory, isn't it? God wiped out the whole Egyptian army without a single loss on his side. Now that is an incredible conquest. And so Habakkuk reflects on this conquest, on the time God came and the time God conquered. And we see that the presence of this conquering king even impacts nature then as Habakkuk continues to reflect. Look at verses 9 to 11. You split the earth with rivers, the the mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by, the deeps, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens, at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. See, constantly through the story of Exodus, we see God using nature to defeat his enemies. There's the Red Sea, like we just saw, where he parts the water. There's the plague of darkness we thought about before, where God uses it to put fear into his enemies. He, remember, he turns the water to blood. He sends the hailstones, hailstones to destroy the enemy's food supply. This is a story where God uses nature to conquer his enemies. And then as we continue along in verses 12 to 13, we get this incredible picture of God the conqueror just strolling through the land at ease, defeating his enemies as he will. Have a look at verses 12 to 13. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of weakness. You stripped him from head to foot. See, God strides about. There's no one that can fight against God, no one that can stand up to God, no one that can defeat God. It's like an adult fighting a kid. It's just not a fair competition. I remember one time when I was younger, a friend of my mum came over. I would have been about 15 or 16 at the time, and she brought her son with her, who would have been about 10 or so at the time. Uh, while the, the parents talked, the kids, me and this, her son, went out and played basketball outside. Now, unfortunately for this kid, I was a lot taller than him, and a lot bigger than him, and a lot stronger than him, and a lot better at basketball than him. And so it was an absolute demolition. I was like rejecting his shots and sinking all of mine, getting every single rebound, and there was nothing he could do. I was just too big for him. He couldn't fight against me. It was the most one-sided basketball match I think I've ever seen. And even that is nothing compared to how one-sided this fight is when God the King comes and God the King conquers. No one can stand against him. And so that's why Habakkuk reflects. That's why Habakkuk's so joyful. He remembers the time when God conquered their enemies. And as his reflection comes to an end in verses 14 to 15, he goes back to the parting of the sea, that big moment in the story of Exodus. Have a look at verses 14 to 15. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as they about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trample the sea with your horses, churning the great waves. See, this time there's more of an emphasis on the enemy soldiers. They come out ready to conquer and defeat the Israelites, expecting an easy win. And it's no wonder they're professional soldiers on top of horses and chariots, armed with the best weapons they can get, fighting against fleeing slaves who don't know how to fight and have no weapons. So it's no wonder they're gloating, expecting an easy win, getting ready to eat them up like food. But God has other plans. Instead, God tramples them. God squashes them down. He uses the waters to smash over and obliterate them. See, God, the mighty warrior king, comes and he conquers. That's the story of Exodus. That's what Exodus is about. A story of God coming and conquering to save his people. And so that's what Habakkuk reflects on. And as he reflects, he realizes that of course he's going to trust God. Of course, God is a God worth trusting. If this is what God will do to save his people, then why would you not trust in God? God has shown himself to be trustworthy as we thought about, that's how the world works. We think about someone's past actions to see if they're worth trusting. Zap, my dog, thought about whether I was giving him food or not. When I wasn't, he said, no, you're not trustworthy. And so here, Habakkuk reflects on what God's done and he realises God is trustworthy. God is someone worth trusting. Even when things get tough. Because Habakkuk knows they will, doesn't he? That's that's the story of Habakkuk. Chapters 1 and 2, we hear how bad things are going to get for the people of Jerusalem. God is sending judgment. God is sending the wicked Babylonians to destroy them as punishment for their wickedness. War and pain and sadness are coming and there's nothing Habakkuk can do to avoid it. But even so, he was still trusting God. But it's quite painful language we see in verses 16 to 17 as he realises that there is pain and sadness coming. Have a look at verses 16 to 17. I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crops fail, and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. It paints a bleak picture, doesn't it? One of desolation after invasion. There's trembling and decay, there's poverty after war. Everything good has been carried off. The figs, the grapes, the olives the food, the sheep, the cattle, anything good that's not nailed down has been lifted up and plundered off. All taken off with the invading Babylonians. Times will be tough. There'll be pain and hunger and tears and death. Just like there were in Egypt. Just like it was before the Exodus. See, Habakkuk knows that these hard times are coming but he trusts God anyway. And so that's what we see in the beautiful language of verses 18 to 19. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. See, Habakkuk's hopeful. He knows God and he knows what God's done. He knows that God's trustworthy. And so he rejoices in God, even though there's tough times coming. Even if he has nothing else, he still has God. Even when there's war and death and starvation, still Habakkuk will trust in God because he knows that God is trustworthy. And so that's why it ends with that wonderful picture of God being his strength, And he uses the language of even if he's up on a mountain about to fall off, he knows that God will keep his feet steady. God will keep him safe. God will take care of him. See, despite the hopelessness of the situation, despite the coming wars, the coming deaths, the coming starvation, despite the coming pain, still Habakkuk trusts God. He reflects on God. And he trusts God and I think it's the same for us when life feels tough when things don't seem fair when we're struggling we follow the pattern of Habakkuk we reflect on God and we trust in God what do I reflect on when I'm reflecting on God well I can reflect on the time here where God came and conquered I can reflect on the exodus which is my story too as one of God's family. So I can reflect on this time when God came and conquered and destroyed his enemies. Or I can reflect on other times when God has kept me safe and looked after me. When I was younger in a car, I was almost T-boned by someone speeding through a red light. If that car had have hit me, I would literally be dead now. And so I can reflect on that. I can reflect on the time when God kept me safe, when God looked after me. I can reflect on those things and that's good. But what's the greatest time of God's deliverance? A time of salvation for me, for you, and for all of the world. Well, it's the cross. I can reflect on when God came in His Son and conquered on the cross. I can reflect on the time when God smashed and destroyed His enemies in the most amazing way possible. A time where God showed his mighty power in a a way much better than the Exodus. It's a deliverance that means I'll live forever. It's a deliverance that means that you can live forever. God came in his son and he conquered on the cross so that we might have eternal life with him if we trust in him, if we reflect on what he's done And we trust in Him. See, when life gets tough, when relationships break down, when I lose my job, when I face sickness, whatever tough times I'm facing, I can reflect on God, I can reflect on the cross. And I know that God is good and God is worth trusting. See, it's so much greater what we have, so much better than what Habakkuk had. What Habakkuk had was good, what we have is even better. It's God's ultimate display of who he is. He came and he conquered. And in doing so, he showed us that we can trust him. As we close, I want to share with you the story of one of my friends. Uh, it's quite an extreme example. But it stayed with me in the years since it happened. And it, I think it will stay with me to the day I die. Uh, so my friend and former boss was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago. And so I can still remember the feeling of shock and just speechlessness that came over me when I read the message saying that he'd got cancer and he was going in for surgery in the next couple of days. The doctors told him there's a good chance that he'd either die in surgery or be dead within a few days of surgery. So confident was he that he was likely to die that he told me, he even wrote letters to give to his four kids that he has, school-aged kids, he wrote letters to give to them so that they could read them years later when he was dead, they could hear from their father. And so it was quite a sad time, it was an unbelievable shock, was the emotion we were feeling. And so I, I always think, what would I have done in that situation? What would I have done? It would have been so easy to, to get angry at God To say to God, God, I've spent my working life serving you. I work in ministry. I train up people to go into ministry. I tell people about you. I do all sorts of things for you, God. How can you do this to me? It would be so easy to question God, to think like that. What about his wife and kids? It would be so easy to think, God, you've given me four kids and a wonderful wife. And now you're going to take me away from them before I get to see them grow up, before I get to see them grow old and have their own kids and wife? It would have been so easy and so tempting to doubt God, to stop trusting in God. But do you know what was so encouraging about him? Even in the face of cancer and possible death, he still didn't turn on God. He still didn't turn away from God. He still didn't stop trusting. No, instead, he did what Habakkuk does. He reflected on God's goodness. He reflected on the cross. And he knew that even if he couldn't figure out why this was happening, that at least he knew God was good. And at least he knew God was worth trusting. And so it stuck with me since then, and it will stick with me to the day I die. I don't think I'll ever forget it. And I pray that God would make me like that when I face tough times, that I would imitate my friend in the way he reflected and trusted God. That I would imitate Habakkuk in the way Habakkuk reflects and trusts God. And so if Habakkuk was able to reflect and trust God in the face of oncoming war and destruction and pillaging, then how can I not? If my friend was able to reflect and trust God in the face of cancer and death, then how can I not? No matter what comes my way, whatever happens to me, I'm to reflect and trust God, the God who on the cross showed that he's indeed worth trusting. I'm going to pray and ask God that I would, help, I would continue to reflect and trust in him And that you would continue to reflect and trust in him. Let's pray. Dear Mighty King God, we thank you that Habakkuk reminds us about the Exodus when you came and you conquered, when you saved your people from slavery and from destruction. We thank you for the way that Habakkuk reflected on that and for the way he trusts in you because of it. But we thank you that you've given us something even better than the exodus something far greater than the exodus that you've given us the cross when you came and you conquered for us and so we ask that you'd help us to reflect on that constantly to never forget that and to always keep reflecting on what you've done to us and just how trustworthy you've shown yourself to be and then we ask that you'd help us to trust in you because of that and to never be tempted or never be scared or never be beaten out of it that would never turn our backs on you despite difficulties and hardships that we might face i pray all of this in jesus name amen